Grab your Bible and turn with me to the Gospel of John chapter 15. If you didn't bring one with you, you can turn on your iPad or your iPhone, or there is a Bible, actually a physical Bible provided for each of you in front of the chair immediately in front of you. We've been focusing on a series on Jesus' eyes, looking at the Gospels and trying to look through the spectacles of what Jesus would see when He looks into this earth. And Kent preached a sermon a couple of weeks ago that really just really touched my heart. You shared an image that has just really stayed with me and I think was so spot on in the area of discipleship and being a man or a woman who is committed to following in the footsteps of Jesus. And he said a disciple pursued the teachings of their master so closely Now, when they walked down the the roads, the dusty roads of Galilee, that every time that a master picked up his his foot and put it back down in the dusty trail and a poof of dust kind of came up from that, that the disciples were so close that the dust that came from the footprint of the master actually fell on the feet of the disciples. And I think that is a beautiful image of what Jesus is trying to convey in John chapter 15, even though he tells a parable of the vine. I think one of the things that I'd like to just share with all of us about this passage of Scripture is that since this is Communion Sunday, and I want us to use this time to prepare our hearts as we prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacrament of communion with one another. But this teaching from John chapter 15 actually actually comes from the last discourse that Jesus shares with his disciples. And there's a, there's a change in the attitude. There's a change in the tone. There's, there's no more critical Pharisees. There's no more critical commentary from the Sadducees. Jesus has now withdrawn himself from all of that outside influence. He's gathered those that are the closest to him in an upper room. And this is just one of the stories that he shares in, in an extended time of teaching privately those who are closest to him. I want to invite you to follow along with me as I read from the Gospel of John, chapter 15, starting with verse 1. Jesus says, I am the vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine, and neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit, because apart from me you can do nothing. Everybody say nothing. You know what nothing means in the Greek? Same thing it does in the English. Nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that is thrown away and withers, and such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and, and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And then verse 9 is our focus verse, and this is where I really want to leverage the truth that I hope to convey to you this morning. As the Father has loved me, Jesus says, so have I loved you. Now, remain in me. Everybody say that. Remain in me. 
If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in His love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Because greater love has no one than this, than he lay down his life for his friends. You, everybody say me. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's talking about me. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I've learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me. I chose you and appointed you to go and to bear fruit and fruit that will last. And then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. And this is my command. Love one another. May the Lord Jesus bless the reading of his word to our hearts and minds are in this our Lord's day. This is the seventh and the last of the I am statements that John records for us in the sayings of Jesus. And there are two pictures here that we just looked at, a picture of the branch, but also the picture of the friends. Everybody say friends. You know, we go through life a lot, probably referencing ourselves as disciples, but I don't know. A number of years ago, I learned that, that not only did Jesus love me, but he liked me that he called me a friend. And there are privileges that come with being a friend. And these two pictures for us in in this parable, the believer of the believer in both the branches and the friends reveal both our privileges and our responsibilities. As branches, we have the privilege of sharing in his life and the responsibility of abiding. As friends, we have the privilege of being his friend having some insight, knowing his will, but we also have the responsibility of of obeying his word. Now, he uses this story, a picture of a vine, as something that wasn't new because the cultivation of vineyards was important to the life and the economy of Israel. And in fact, when you went to Herod's temple, there was a golden vine that adorned his temple. So when Jesus uses this image, he's he's not using something that's new. It's something that was familiar to every Jew and something that was familiar to every Greek. And there are four elements in this parable that we least have to have an awareness of, I think, to really glean some truth from this. The first is the vine. The second is the branch. The third is the gardener. And the fourth is the fruit. And when we look at the vine, we, we, when you study Scripture, it becomes clear throughout the study of Scripture that there are three vines, three different vines that are found in Scripture. The first one is the nation of Israel. And you find it in Genesis and the major prophets and the minor prophets. And uh, Israel is referred to as a vine. And through this wonderful act of grace, God reaches down and chooses this nation Israel as his vine brings it into Canaan, and he gives that nation every possible benefit that you can imagine. In fact, this is what Isaiah says in behalf of God with regards to what God had given Israel. In Isaiah 5, 4, he says, What could have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done for it? In other words, if any nation ever had everything that it needed to succeed, it was Israel. 
But the vine that the Bible calls Israel produced wild grapes, not domestic grapes. Instead of practicing justice, they learned to practice oppression. Instead of producing righteousness, it produced unrighteousness. And God was forced to deal with the nation of Israel by chastising it and pruning it. And that still didn't work. And finally, God sent his own son into the vineyard. And they took him and killed him and rejected him. Then there's a second vine that's mentioned in the Bible, and it's the vine of the earth, and it's described for us in the book of Revelation, chapter 14, verses 14 through 20. And this is a vine that represents the world system that's ripening for God's judgment. It's a vine that is in opposition to the kingdom. And believers... In Revelation 14 are depicted as branches in the vine of heaven, but those who are unsaved are depicted as those who are members of the vine of the earth. The unsaved depend on the world for their sustenance and satisfaction, while believers are called to depend upon the vine of Christ. Then Revelation tells us that the vine of this earth will be cut down and destroyed when Jesus comes, and on that day it will be clear and apparent who's really and abiding in the vine, and what vine we're actually abiding in. And then the third vine that we find in the Bible is the vine that's in this parable this morning. It's a vine that includes branches, and it says that Jesus is this true vine, the original of which all others are but copies and shadows. And the symbol of the vine and the branches are, are important because they're, they're similar to the, to the head and the body. Uh, examples in Scripture that depict this close relationship. I mean, the body doesn't go very far if the head's not attached. Disciples follow their master so closely that the dust of his feet settles on their own. It's talking about this union that we have with Christ. This living union so that we can bear fruit. A loving union so that we can actually enjoy him and and be called his friends. And and a lasting union so that we need not be afraid of knowing what vine we're attached to. Then he talks about the branches. But when we look at the branch, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to, to realize that the branch in and of itself is useless. The branch in and of itself can't produce life of its own. It's, it's, forced to, to be, it's forced to remain connected and draw life from the vine. And it's our communion with Christ through the Spirit that makes possible the bearing of this kind of fruit. In fact, many of the images in the Bible that's given to Scripture that talks about our union and communion with Jesus illustrate the privilege of, of belonging while at the same time Leverage the responsibility of remaining and abiding. And there's a difference. And here's what I mean. One of the analogies that we see in the body is, is the, the analogy of the, of the body and its members. Uh, you can take a body and cut off one of the members and the body doesn't survive. Another one would be the bridegroom and the bride. The marriage creates a union but it takes daily devotion and daily commitment to maintain communion. 
There's a difference between being united with someone and a difference between living a fruitful life that is flourishing with communion with someone. Another one would be the shepherd that brings the sheep into his flock. The sheep must follow the shepherd and listen to his voice in order to have the protection and the provision. And so really the key word, one of the key words in this passage is the word abide. It's used 11 times in these first 11 verses. And it just means to keep into fellowship with Jesus so that his life can work in us and through us and produce fruit. Now here's a question. How can we tell when we're abiding in the vine? Is there a special feeling? Is there a special experience? Well, I believe that there are feelings that come with it, and I believe that there are experiences that come with it, but I would have to say unequivocally, no, that there, there is no special experience or no special feeling. But when we read this passage of Scripture, one of the things that does become clear is that there are evidences that appear that are unmistakably clear. And for one thing, if you're abiding in Christ, you're going to bear fruit. In fact, fruit that vine or branches that do not produce fruit are cut off. But if our hearts are committed to staying connected and abiding in the vine, this is what God promises. He promises that he will trim and he will cut away everything that prevents us from being unfruitful. This is one of those passages of scriptures that in my life was misunderstood for a lot of years. I thought this was a passage of scripture that was talking about people who were in the kingdom and out of the kingdom. That if you weren't fruitful, God was cutting you off and throwing you away. And I don't think that that's what this passage is teaching at all. This isn't a parable about salvation, but it's a parable about learning how to live in the love of God learning how to live and abide in him and to allow him to prune you and to make you more fruitful. It's talking about a life of complete surrender that invites Jesus into every area of our lives to lift up the unproductive areas of our lives and cut them off and throw them away and, and even take the areas of our lives that, that are producing fruit, but maybe not the best fruit. It's, it's good. It's okay. And allowing him to even take that and trim that and throw that away so that in the end, the crop is even of a better quality. The focus verse, and verse 9 says, As the Father has loved me, I have loved you. Now remain in my love. That's what this whole parable is about. It's about learning to remain and abide in God's love. And this means that we're committed to experiencing the Father's pruning so that you'll bear more fruit. Because the believer who's abiding in Christ, according to the seventh verse, is the kind of person who has a, an active prayer life. According to verse 9, they're the kind of person who continues to have a deepening love for Jesus and for others. And according to verse 11, they're even the kind of person that experiences joy unspeakable. In this thing called life. This abiding relationship is as natural to the branch and the vine as breathing air is to both you and I, but the Christian life is something that's not automatic. Fruit must be cultivated. Now here's the difference. Salvation is a gift. It's free. 
And I've always defined gifts and fruits. I've differentiated between the two by this distinction. Gifts are given, fruit is cultivated. Say that with me. Gifts are given, fruit is cultivated. Salvation is free. We're in, you're grafted into the vine, but the level of quality of fruit that we produce in our life is contingent, not just on the union that we have with Christ, but also on the communion that we have with him, where we allow him into every area of our life to prune, to poke, to prod, to cultivate, so that we just don't produce fruit, we produce good fruit. Everybody say good fruit. And then we're introduced to the gardener or the vine dresser. And Jesus says that this is his father, that he's really the one who's, who's in charge of caring for the vines. So he's the one who purges, he's the one who prunes the branches so that we'll produce more fruit. And when you look at this passage of scripture, there's a progression. It goes from no fruit to fruit. And then it goes from more fruit to much fruit. I've been around for a few years and I've even prayed this myself. I've asked God to make me more fruitful in my life. And I've prayed that prayer with a lot of brothers, you know, Christian brothers and sisters over the years, but I have to be honest with you, I haven't found too many Christians, including myself, who have enjoyed the pruning process. We want to be fruitful. We want to go through this progression from no fruit to fruit and from more fruit to much fruit, but it involves the process of surrendering our lives to pruning. Not just the union with God, but this is the communion place that we have with God, where we invite Him into every area of our life, the darkened areas that we don't even tell our spouses about. Nobody knows about us. It's the gardener who prunes branches. And in the story of the vine, we're told that he prunes branches in two ways. First, he cuts away the dead wood that can breed disease and insects. But secondly, we're told that he cuts away living branches, living tissue, living life in the vine so that it won't affect the quality of the crop because it's of a lesser quality. It's, it's just not up to par. And farmers know all about this. In fact, experts tell us that the pruning process is probably the most important part of the whole enterprise. And they hire people in, in vineyards who are carefully trained because they know that pruning the wrong way at the wrong time and the wrong in, in the incorrect angles can destroy an entire crop. So somebody who's trained knows where to cut, when to cut, how to cut, how much to cut, and even, even at what angle to make the cut. Think about this, that God wants to invite us to abide in the vine so that we can produce much fruit. And the invitation for us is to surrender ourselves completely to him. If that's true, wouldn't the greatest judgment that God could bring to a believer like you and me would be just to leave us alone and let us have our own way? Think about it. It's because of God's love for us that he prunes us and he encourages us to, to bear more fruit for his glory. 
I think if the branches could speak or if we could hear them, they'd say things like, it hurts, but uh, I'm better. Then I, I thought about the way that I discipline my children. And I've had these conversations with our three daughters and our son, and they will say things like, oh, dad. We used to just hate it when you'd walk in the bedroom and say, I love you, and this is going to hurt me way more than it's going to hurt you. <laughs> now their parents themselves, our youngest just announced that they're getting ready to have our sixth grandchild, and so we're excited about that. But he's going to learn that you're never more near to the ones you love than when you're correcting them or pruning them to give them guidance and direction to help them be all that they can be in life. And really, that's what this parable to me is about. It's a story of a gardener who loves his vineyard. And he's committed to exercising the greatest care and oversight to make sure that it doesn't produce good fruit, it produces the best fruit. And there's communion in a union with Jesus. Then he talks a little bit about the fruit, and I'm going to close it up here. You know, the word results is a word that's often substituted in a lot of Christian conversations with regards to fruit. And I'm not so sure that those two concepts jive exactly, but there are benefits from both. But a machine can produce results, and so can a robot, but it takes a living organism to produce fruit. It takes time for cultivation to produce good fruit. Good fruit doesn't come overnight. There are several kinds of fruit that are named in the Bible. We're told that there's fruit when others are one to Christ. We're told that there's fruit when we're a part of the harvest. That there's a fruit when we engage in holiness and obedience. That there's a fruit by, through the principle of giving. That there's fruit and living Christian character in our life that glorifies Christ. And then there's fruit that actually comes from the praise of our lips and out of our hearts. The Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And sometimes it's easy to hide behind some of those things. It's easy for a Christian to sometimes use God to hide from God. I know I've been guilty of that, especially in ministry. Sometimes being committed to ministry, sometimes being so busy in ministry that I've neglected some of the personal things and personal relationships that I've had with others in my life. And it's not okay to use God to hide from God. Because the goal, the fruit that God wants in his vineyard, that God wants for your life, is not just sweet fruit, but the sweetest not just sour fruit, but the sourest. Is that a real word? 
And that the greatest judgment that a loving gardener could bring against us would be to just leave the vineyard alone and the branches to themselves. What does Jesus see when he looks at this vineyard? What does he see when he looks at the particular vine that your branch is attached to? In your union with him, he loves you. You're safe and secure. So it's a safe place to invite him in to look at every area of your life. And I want to invite you to do that now. You bow your heads and let's spend some time in confession and preparation as we prepare our hearts to partake of the Lord's Supper together.